Hello, and welcome to the Upper Bowl GM Podcast. It is Nick Sararis. This is the Tuesday episode of the show. As promised, we're going to be talking about the Indianapolis Colts with my friend Chuck Hanna. But before I get to the episode, I do got to touch on the news that came out on Monday afternoon. It's going to come out. It's going to be talked about more on the Wednesday edition of the show, the Rangers episode with uh, Fitz, the legend Fitz. But real quick, Rangers winger Artemi Panarin was accused of assaulting a woman 10 years ago when Panarin was 19 and the woman was 18. The accuser was not the alleged victim of the assault. It was a third party. It was Panarin's hockey coach in the KHL at the time, someone who has been vocally supportive of President Vladimir Putin and someone who has criticized players who have been outspoken against Putin like Panarin has. He's more than once voiced support for the leader of the Russian opposition party, Alexei Navalny. Navalny, yes, that's how you say it. I had to look up the phonetic spelling warrant to be correct. But Panarin has taken a risky stance in his home country by speaking out against Putin, who, you know, rules Russia with an iron fist and does not take kindly to criticism. Nelvani, amongst the people who are facing criminal charges for being outspoken against Putin, and Panarin is no exception. As a famous athlete in Russia, he's expected to be part of the Putin information apparatus, the same way Alexander Ovechkin and Evgeny Malkin are always in those charity games in Russia that Putin plays in and Putin scores nine goals because the goalie dives out of the way. You know how that happens every summer during non-COVID years? Yeah, that's all part of it. That's part of the strongman authoritarian regime is using sports as a part of nationalism. And Panarin didn't want to be a part of that. And he's outspoken about it. And he took a leave of absence from the team that began on Monday. As it's being reported in the media, Panarin was the one who asked for a leave of absence, and the Rangers encouraged him to take all the time he needed to get this part of his life figured out. He does still have family living over in Russia, so there are some legitimate safety concerns about them. And it's a sensitive story that is still developing and probably won't be resolved for a while. I know during intermission of the Calgary and Toronto game on Monday night, Darren Dreger had said, that the Rangers don't know when to expect Panarin back, and it could very well be a while. So we'll talk about that more with Fitz on tomorrow's episode of the show. But it's important to get that out there, that as someone who puts a lot of time and effort into writing about the Rangers and creating content about the Rangers, when major news breaks, it needs to be talked about. Now, before, I know I said that before, but before I get to the conversation with Chuck, please help grow the show. If you're on Apple Podcasts, please subscribe. Go all the way down to the bottom of the episode pages where you know that homepage where if you click on our our show, you scroll all the way down past episode one, you go over to the right, you hit that fifth star from the left, that'll give you a five-star rating of the pod, and then please leave a written review for the show. Would help if you're on Spotify. Audio Boom, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, any other format, please hit the follow button. Help grow the show. And now, just a little flavor 
we all know how the Colts got bounced in the first round of the wild card round on that Saturday afternoon. They had the ball with about two and a half minutes to go. They needed a touchdown to win the game. They very easily could have won that game. They outpossessed the Bills. They gained more yards than the Bills. They weren't as aggressive as they were during the regular season. Frank Reich did not have the best game from a play-calling perspective, and we're going to get into that with Chuck, but this is a team that finished in the top 10 in defense and was ninth in offensive efficiency with 39-year-old Phillip Rivers, so there's potential there. And trading for Carson Wentz, the Colts firmly feel like they have a team that's capable of winning the AFC South, and if the cards shake out right, if the right card comes... Down the river, they could very well find themselves in an AFC title game. It wouldn't take too much to make that happen. So, with all that as your little bit of an appetizer, I will see you guys in one second with Chuck. And with that, welcome on a now recurring guest, and no, we are not talking about the uh, Elimination Chamber, which was pretty entertaining last night. We are here to talk about the Indianapolis Colts and their new quarterback. So first off, I'm going to ask you, Chuck, uh, how's it feel to be the proud new owner of a shiny, washed-up Carson Wentz? Uh, first of all, I will not appreciate that disrespect, but hello to the 10 million people that are going to be listening to this. This is going viral uh, to start. I would like to quote the famous rapper from the group 3-6 Mafia, known as DJ Paul, at the beginning of their most famous song, Stay Fly. Yeah, that's right. We're here. I am ready to put my hot take out there that Carson Wentz is going to win Comeback Player of the Year, maybe even be in the MVP conversation. I'm kind of siding with Orlovsky here, uh, but I will not tolerate any more disrespect or slander. It is not Carson Wentz. It is now Carson Wentz, and we are about to resurrect this man's career. I, I've always been pretty high on Wentz. I thought we, we all saw that flash. The year they won the Super Bowl before he got his knee destroyed trying to be a hero, rushing for a touchdown. We all saw it. We saw a guy who has everything you want from the modern quarterback. Above average mobility where he can use his legs on design runs. The Eagles had quite a few read option plays, speed option plays in their playbook that year. After he destroyed his knee, they uh, took those out of the playbook like the Chiefs kind of did with Mahomes for a few weeks and then put them back in. But point being, you still have that mobility. It got him into a lot of trouble this year because he tried doing the Mahomes thing of running away from the pressure, breaking the tackle, but ended up just losing yards because he doesn't have the Mahomes arm strength. And, you know, no one has the Mahomes arm strength, but you you see the tools and you before we started recording we talked a lot about just a lot of this comes down to confidence for him and you could see he'd had no confidence in the team around him in Philly the last year or so he was taking a lot of hits their offensive line was very dinged up something that made the Colts a good landing spot they have a very solid offensive line they don't give up a lot of pressures and it'll allow him to have an easier life and we I know a lot of people in the football universe like to make fun of quarterbacks who have it easy where they run a lot of play action. They don't have to make a lot of decisions. That's the ideal world. Uh, yeah, sure. Your stats are a little empty, but if your quarterback's not getting hit and he's making the easy throws because people are open, that's a good thing. And I think the recipe is there for the Colts to put Wentz in a position to succeed. Yes. Well, uh, for one, I agree. Uh, but 
you know, I, I think you have to uh, you have to evaluate the situation as a whole. So I'm not going to deny that uh, at times during his tenure in Philly, uh, Carson was not to blame. You know, especially last season was not pretty by any means. I think, um, like you said, he was definitely trying to pull off his best Mahomes impression. He was falling into too many traps of playing hero ball and extending plays that didn't need to be extended and could have just thrown the ball away and lived to see another day. But he did what it did, and you saw what it led to. Uh, 16 touchdowns, 15 interceptions, uh, QB rating of 73. So wasn't pretty by any means. And, of course, it cultivated uh, with the, uh, the benching for, for Jalen Hurts. Um, so, you know, I, I, I can't deny that. However... With that being said, that has really, besides his rookie year, which is understandable, you're going to take your lumps. Uh, last season was really Wentz's only quote unquote down year. I mean, if you look at 2017, from 2017 to 2019, he roughly had, uh, let, he had 33 touchdowns in 2017, 21 touchdowns in 2018, and 27 touchdowns in 2019, and he threw only seven picks in each of those three seasons. Um, I think 2019, I know a lot of people point to 2017 because that was when he was on his MVP track. I actually think 2019 was arguably his best career year because he had a very bare cupboard at receiver. Uh, you know, just for context, Shelton Gibson, who I'm sure is a nice guy, but that was his number two receiver in 2019. <laughs> so he was really making, he was doing a lot with the little a la Andrew Luck. So I think for people to be writing him off completely at this point is premature. I'm sure you can have question marks, but I think that this is a nice gamble um, for Chris Ballard and the Colts and company. And I think now that you have a healthy top three offensive line, uh, a running back in Jonathan Taylor, who will take a lot of the pressure off of Wentz and a top 10 defense, uh, I, I think you're going to see a, uh, a reborn uh, version of Mr. Carson. The thing I like, at least in theory about this, I'm not going to make the point everyone else has made that, yeah, he had his best statistical season with Frank Reich as his coach. That's not what I want to talk about. I want to talk about from a just purely what Wentz does well when he's right. When he's standing in the pocket, he has time. When he was at his best, the Eagles were pushing the ball down the field. It was a vertical passing game. A lot, a lot of 10 to 15 yards, not a lot of intermediate stuff using that arm strength. And granted, that Eagles team had a lot at the skill position. You had Alshon Jeffrey out there who – Alshon Jeffrey now is a shadow of what he once was, but one of the better jump ball receivers of this era. Had Ertz when Ertz was, you know, one of the best tight ends in football. You had a solid running back out of the backfield for passing plays. You had Sproles there. You had um, – why can't I think of the other short running back's name they had? But you had Corey him. Clement. Yeah, Corey Clement. That's the one I was thinking of him. They had a Jahi that year where it took a lot of the load off. Yeah, Jahi only played like five or six games at Wednesday trading for him midway through that season. But when you put him in a position to succeed, he's pushing the ball up the field. I mean, to be fair, he only had like a 53% completion percentage in 2017. He wasn't very efficient, but that's because they were pushing the ball up the field, a little bit more challenging throws. I think the Colts have the personnel, at least on paper, to give him that, to be able to push the field. I like what I saw out of Michael Pittman. He didn't play a lot this year. He started the year hurt. It took him a little while to get going. But once Rivers got him incorporated into the offense, you saw what he could do. Uh, I like Trey Burton. 
I don't think they'll bring back Doyle. I don't know what they're going to do as far as T.Y. and the other receivers. They probably draft a receiver. They probably have to sign a receiver. But from a pure, we have Michael Pittman. He's not a number one, but he's a quality two. You've got some athletic tight ends. I don't know what they're going to do with Mo Alley Cox and that, but they've got some pieces there that are not exactly the same as what he had to be successful in Philly, but you see the template. You see the template. Yes. So uh, to break that down, uh, number one, I too am not, uh, I'm not one to jump in with everybody who, you know, yes, of course, the pairing of Wentz and Reich brought the most success from an overall win-loss perspective and, you know, just where they progressed to, yes. However, uh, as a credit to Warren Sharp, I will acknowledge he did put out a tweet that showcased the stats when Reich was there for Wentz's 24 and 25 season, uh, age 24 and 25 seasons. And then Wentz, since Reich left, so his age 26, 27, and 28 seasons. And if you look at the numbers, generally, for the most part, um, you know, they're, they're very much the same uh, when Reich was there. He was averaging roughly seven yards per attempt, 245 yards a game, uh, 61.5% completion percentage, QB rating of 89. Uh, once rank left, uh, once from that point on, 6.7 yards per attempt, uh, 250 yards a game, completion percentage of 63.5, and an 89.5 rating. So um, it's still very much the same. So I'm not going to be, you know, the one to sit here and say that Reich was, you know, a huge difference maker from a statistical perspective. However, I think where Reich made the biggest difference was he had the confidence to dial up the plays, like you said, that um, the, the big chunk plays, throw the ball down the field, get Wentz's mobility, uh, use it to your advantage, get him out in space. Because I think that's where Carson really excels the most. He has the mobility uh, to really get outside the pocket and extend plays and for the most part, make the right plays. I mean, he ran a four seven seven forty coming out of college, so there's no reason why you shouldn't try and take advantage of that mobility. I understand the ACL injury and everything else, but he can still move around for my money. Um, so I, I think looking at it from that perspective, uh, I just think that uh, Philly was very premature, in my opinion, in abandoning ship with Carson. I think that there was so much dysfunction between the front office uh, obviously, his fractured relationship with Dougie P and then um, just the, the overall state of the roster with all the injuries up front and to his receivers and everything else. So um, I, I think this is a nice, clean slate, like you said. Um, and in regards to Michael Pittman, uh, good on him for standing his ground, not giving up number 11. Uh, this guy's <laughs> going to have a breakout. He's going to have a breakout year at receiver. I promise you that. Um obviously got to figure out, I think they should bring back T.Y. because you take him away and they're going to bring back Zach Pascal too, or at least Ballard said that's what they're working towards. Um, but if you evaluate the rest of the receiver group, um, you have Paris Campbell, who as much as I love the potential of, he hasn't shown yet that he can stay healthy for a full 16 or I should say 17 now coming into next season. Um, so you have him, you have DeMichael Harris, who, who, um, and then, you know, outside of that, there really isn't any other proven guys. So I think, you know, T.Y.'s at the point you bring him back on a rather team-friendly deal and have him play strictly in the slot. You keep Pittman outside on one side, and then you bring in a guy like Chris Godwin or maybe Allen Robinson 
um, to really be that true number one guy. And then in terms of tight end, maybe try and sign Hunter Henry. I don't think they're going to bring Burton back. I do think they bring back Doyle because he's all around um, a very reliable tight end from a blocking perspective and receiving, but more so blocking. Um, I think that's why they'll keep him. And then still got Mo as well there. So um, I, I think the weapons are going to be there. I think it's just a matter of um, refamiliarizing himself with Frank and the nuances and everything else. And I think it's going to be a situation very similar to how it was with Phil last year, just a nice, you know, continuity there. So um, yeah, I, I think it's going to, I think it's going to work out well. What would you say were the strengths of the Colts offense this past season with Rivers? Granted Rivers and Wentz are not the same type of quarterback, but Rivers ability to, Rivers throws one of the best corner routes like ever. I, I forget what mm-hmm. football writer made this point. I want to say it was Robert Mays who put together like a 10 minute compilation of just Rivers throwing deep corner routes. But from a perspective of you watching them, what were they good at last year from uh, moving the ball perspective? Oh, when you have an offensive line like they did, um, despite the injuries at times to uh, both Costanzo and Braden Smith on the outside. Um, you still had Quentin Nelson on the inside along with Ryan Kelly and Glowinski. So, you know, we were able to run the ball very well. That's always, you know, going to be a given. It didn't start out well. It, it didn't start out that way. I will say that. Um, but, you know, the more reps Jonathan Taylor got, and then you add in Naheem Hines, um, who was just, you know, he's incredibly versatile. Um, for my money, probably the, the best back in terms of that versatility. But between the two of them, they did a really good job of overcoming the loss of Marlon Mack in week one against Jacksonville. Um, So I think having a great run game took a lot of the pressure off of Phil's shoulders. And then when Phil had to make plays, he was at first. However, it was for the other team, unfortunately. But over time, he got more comfortable because, again, you have to factor in the lack of a preseason. You're coming into a new team, even though you have familiarity with the coach. You still got to familiarize yourself with everybody else. So I think you had to take that into consideration. But, you know, Phil, for, you know, my money was very, very good. He averaged right at like eight yards an attempt. And it wasn't so much the deep ball, because how can you expect someone at 39 to be able to throw it as well as he was, you know, 10 years ago? But he really made his money, like you said, with those corner routes and the intermediate throws within that you know, 10 to 15 yard range and the benefit of having a great run game like we did. Um, it opened up the play action game for Phil, which is where he really excelled, especially hitting those deep crossers over the middle, whether it was the Pascal or TY when he came on at the end of the year. So I expect that to continue this season with Carson. I think the blueprint is there. However, Um, which I've been saying all along, we really need a mobile quarterback to really open up this offense because it can be a running gun, no huddle spread type offense with a mobile quarterback under center. Now you have Carson who can really explore that realm that's really been uncharted so far. And I think you're going to see a whole, a whole other aspect of this offense that people weren't truly aware of until, until now. Okay, so we've talked a little bit about this just purely from a Wentz standpoint, and we're going to talk about the team going forward in terms of what you want to look at, free agency, trades, draft, that kind of thing. But 
we do have to relitigate the uh, playoff game against the Bills for a minute here because that is part of this story, unfortunately, because going into that game, I felt like that was the closest game in terms of matchup skills-wise between any team's wildcard weekend. Those were the closest opponents, and it was going to come down to probably whoever had the ball last having a chance to put together that drive. And I want to say this. This is what I said at the time, and it's worth repeating now. The Colts were one of the more aggressive teams at going forward on fourth down in terms of passing and early down situations. And in that big game environment, they got a little too conservative. And I think that's probably why they ended up losing the game. I don't know how you feel about it, whether it's the kicking the field goals there in inside the red zone, close to the goal line and fourth and short, or just how slow they came out in the two minute drill. I remember specifically after that game was over, that was the afternoon game. Then the, I forget what the night game was on that Saturday. But that going was the back, Saints game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, Watch, think. I think so. After watching the night game, I went back and rewatched it because I remember, why did they come out so slow? They had two and a half minutes when that last possession of the game started, and it took them a minute and a half to get one first down. And so first, what – was that kind of like for you sitting through that agonizing kind of game where you know it's going to come down to whoever has the ball last and two how do you feel about how the game played out sure well first of all it was wrong it wasn't the saints game that followed it was actually the rams and the seahawks so my apologies for people out there that are actually keeping track good on you um i i mean in regards to the game um i genuinely felt like we outplayed Buffalo for, I mean, pretty much the entire game. Of course, in the moments where it mattered most, we we made some mistakes. But, I mean, if you look at the stats, I mean, we had almost 500 yards of total offense. Um, we averaged six yards per play. Uh, we ran the ball very well. It, it just, as pretty much standard in the Frank Reich era so far, there are just certain times during the game where um, I admire his aggression in going for it in certain situations Um, but in the plays leading up to it you call certain plays that make it a little more difficult on yourself to uh, to get those fourth downs like you know of course I have to think back to the fourth down play call at the goal line right on the uh, at the three yard line or four yard line, whatever it was on the, uh, the throw to Pittman that was just missed by about half an inch. But, you know, the play before that, you call a toss play to Taylor, um, which Buffalo read, read beautifully and was able to stop. But uh, for my money, I would just run it up the middle behind big old 56 there, uh, Mr. Big Q, Quentin Nelson. Um, but again, that's like the whole cuteness thing that comes back to bite us in the ass. So I think it was just little moments like that. Obviously, you mentioned the two-minute drill in the fourth. We were definitely uh, definitely more lax than I would have liked. Uh, I mean, we, we got lucky for, for all intents and purposes because Pascal fumbled that ball. Yeah. I, thank God the thank God the refs decided otherwise, but he did fumble and that should have been the game right there anyway. Um, but even in the two minute drill at the end of the first half when Buffalo had the ball, uh, you have the big offsides penalty called on Toure. Like you knew they weren't going to snap the ball. Everybody and their mama knew that they weren't going to snap the ball there, uh, but he still went ahead and jumped and that extends the drive. So, you know, it's just these little errors that in that 
type of situation and that atmosphere you just you can't make and so you know it is you know it is what it is uh thankfully Colts still covered so I I won my bet Uh, I'm not gonna you know get too upset there but um it is frustrating in the overall scheme of things because you know on paper I, I think we have arguably a top three complete roster um and I think in that situation, we would have gone on to play Kansas City. I'm not saying that we were going to win, but we have the formula to beat Kansas City. We did it with Jacoby Brissett under center, for Christ's sake, in the 2019 regular season. So um, I, I think we would have provided a very entertaining matchup there. But, you know, just to answer your question more succinctly, um, it was just key moments making mental mistakes that you just can't afford to make in that situation. And uh, yeah, I mean, I think going forward, it's just, you know, a situation where everybody's going to mature. They're going to, you know, get another year of experience under their belt. And I think you'll see those mistakes starting to uh, start to lessen, but you know, for that game, it was uh, too much to overcome. We talked about this the first time you came on that the Colts were basically in like a two ish year window of, this this past season, meaning the super the season that just ended, and next year of being the attempts at winning a Super Bowl with this core of guys based on when people are going to be due for pay raises, the raising salary cap, that kind of thing. Do you still feel like that's the case, that they have about a one more year window before they have to go on a bit of a, not a rebuild, but a retool where they're going to need to address certain positions? I know they got a bit more production than they expected from certain guys guys like Xavier Rhodes I know T.Y. is a free agent do we think that's still the case or do you think that maybe it's a little bit longer because you bring in Wentz as opposed to Phil and Wentz you have under contract for two more years do you think it more aligns with that window yeah I think that this is this is a team that has um, a solid three to five year window right now for my money I understand what the narrative is with Carson Wentz right now um, but I just think that you have by default a better shot because you have a younger quarterback who has a higher ceiling um, despite, you know, the injuries and everything else, the poor play last year, I still think he can produce, um, especially now being reunited with Reich. Um, obviously it's going to be tougher probably by next off season. Cause you're going to have to lock up. You're going to have to lock up Q. You're going to have to lock up Darius Leonard Uh, You're going to have to lock up Braden Smith. Like these are the key cogs in the wheel that you need to, uh, you need to keep. So, and they're not going to be cheap by, by any means, nor should they be for how well they've all played. Um, So, you know, I think Ballard is fully aware of what needs to be done in order to, to keep those guys as well as still keep a competitive roster fielded around them Um, in terms of this off season. Uh, I think you really should make an effort to to bring back Xavier Rhodes. I saw some preliminary reports that, you know, he's looking to get paid after uh, exceeding his value on his prove-it deal. So I don't know what sort of stalemate could potentially come up there in terms of what the Colts are going to offer and what he wants. I'm sure he wants somewhere in the neighborhood of 10 to 11 million per, but um, we'll see what happens there. T.Y., I think they'll bring him back, but he's obviously going to test out free agency. Um, I would really hate to see him go. I don't think my heart can take too much longer with losing franchise stalwart players. Um, So it would be great to bring him back. I still think he can produce. Um, 
So I think those two guys there, you want to bring them back. And then in terms of the other free agents, it, it, it becomes a little murky at that point. Anthony Walker, linebacker, probably not going to resign him. Because you have Bobby Okariki who could just come in. Um, Danico Autry, curious what they do there. Do there. Do there. With his contract situation, I think they should resign him. Justin Houston, probably going to let him walk, bring in a guy like Melvin Ingram to, uh, to replace that production. I think that works out fine. And then, uh, you know, of course, the other biggest areas of need are corner. Besides, you know, bringing in Xavier Rose, they could stand to bring in another guy because I believe the jury is still very much out on Rocky scene. Um, and then, of course, left tackle. I don't know what they do there. Uh, if it was up to me, I would try and uh, stay at 21, draft Christian Darasaw, or since the rumor was we were going to try and trade up to get a quarterback, now that that's not the case, can always trade back and you can draft Liam Eikenberg from Notre Dame. He would be um, a solid addition in my opinion. Or if you go the free agency route, I think Trent Williams is going to end up staying in San Francisco. I think they'll lock him up. But um, if you need like an immediate stopgap type player for now, try and get Alejandro Villanueva. He's a free agent, uh, you know, little up, little older, but he can still produce. So you know, we'll, we'll see. The sky is, uh, the sky is the limit though, for this team overall. I really feel like we have at least another three years of contending with this, uh, with this group that we have intact. I know I've talked about this a lot with a few of my friends that what Chris Ballard has done, putting together a core of guys and then using free agency, using trades to put in pieces, whether it's going out and getting rivers, they put as much of a complete team together as possible and then waited to dole out money. They cultivated their cap space. They made smart trades. They drafted extremely well, which helps. And when we talk about it in terms of just what you would do to build a football team, the Colts are a model that teams should be looking to rip off of not doling out the big money contracts and free agency that teams fall into the trap of doing and then you end up like the Lions who doled out, you know, $120 million to guys who are a little bit too old, whereas the Colts, they said, all right, we know we're not ready to be competitive yet. Let's save our cap space. Let's acquire some extra draft picks. Let's really make sure we use our draft picks well. And they've put together a model for competitiveness that is pretty commendable, I'll use the word to describe, because – not a lot of GMs have the balls to just say, well, we're not ready to win this year, so let's not spend money. Yeah, well, I mean, if you want to look at what not to do, uh, look at the uh, look at the asshole that preceded Mr. Uh, Mr. Ballard uh, <laughs> talking about you, Ryan, Ryan Grigson. If you are listening to this podcast, uh, I really don't like you. And if I ever met you, uh, wouldn't go well, I don't think. But, um, you know, just to give you an idea of how successful Ryan Grigson was as a GM, uh, Trent Richardson is now in the Mexican-American Football League playing for the Cordillos de Chihuahua. Uh, so that's just an idea of how competent he was. Um, he's a case study of what happens when you just try to bring in all these big name free agents, you know, Trent Cole, Frank Gore, Andre Johnson. Don't get me wrong. I loved all those players, but it just doesn't, it didn't mesh well because you didn't really have a great culture, a, a great foundation in place to then add in those guys. So when Ballard came in, very much a breath of fresh air, but it was very frustrating too because 
people were taking his approach of steadily building a foundation, you know, starting up front and then working your way up until you get to a point where you have that foundation in place. Then you can add in guys like Buckner and then other, you know, big time free agents this coming off season. Uh, they were labeling that approach as him being cheap because you have all this cap space. What are you doing? But like you said, I really do think it's a model for how teams should be built. I think patience pays. I know that that's not really a thing anymore in the NFL. Everybody's trying to win now or make the next move that could put them in the win now position. Uh, but I think the more patience you have with the process, uh, the more benefits and rewards you'll get from it. So, yeah. And I know you had mentioned this in the first part of this conversation, but speaking objectively, what the Colts gave up for Wentz was not a ton. You're get, the conditional second becoming a first could be, maybe bite you in the ass, but you're not expecting to, you know, be a bad team. So that pick is going to be in the 20s, hopefully. And just speaking objectively about who you could else you could have gotten, for what you gave up to get Wentz, I mean, a second and a third for Wentz, or you go out and sign someone like, you know, Jameis or Cam, or you bring back Brissett, or you trade for someone else. This is probably your best case scenario, aside from trying to trade up into the top five to get a Zach Wilson, to get a Justin Fields, to get a, even a Trey Lance if you trade up into the teens. I think this is your best case scenario based on where the rest of your roster is. Because if you draft a Zach Wilson, a Lance, a Fields, those guys are going to need a year before they're ready to really push. And I think, again, this is building a team the way someone who's, you know, building a Madden franchise would do it of, well, this is what I've got. Let's not rush into anything and let's do this as smart as possible. Let's not do this with our feet to the fire. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, yeah, the issue, as much potential as there is with some of the uh, quarterbacks towards the top of the class um, after Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields, uh, you know, guys like Zach Wilson, and Trey Lance, who I'm a huge fan of Trey Lance. And originally that was the, the one guy I wanted to target. Should we go the route of the draft for a quarterback? Like you said, it's going to be a situation where you're going to need at least a year or two. I mean, look what's going on with Jacob Beeson. They feel that he needs still at least another year before they can even think about possibly putting him on the field as a starter. So, you know, it's a lot tougher going through the draft because unless you have a bona fide, you know, for sure, lock it in type quarterback, whether it's when we drafted Luck in 2012 or now when the Jags get Trevor Lawrence, like you don't have as much certainty in terms of what the success for the team will look like. And then when you go the, the free agent route, if you look at the guys that were available, I think Jameis will end up back in New Orleans. I think he's going to take over for Drew Brees. Um, I mean, you look at Cam, I think Cam's biggest problem right now is he's got to go re-educate the youth of America. I mean, my God, you got, Cam, you, you, got, you got campers over here that are being so disrespectful and they think they're so tough. Newsflash, you're not. I don't know where that kid's parents were, but uh, <laughs> at least the last I saw, he issued an apology to Cam as he should. Um, if I'm the parents, I don't know, might have to, uh, you know, might have to teach my son a little lesson there, maybe bring him in the pool, do some backyard pool wrestling, maybe give him a 3D like the Dudley boys, you know, just, you know, <laughs> yeah, you got you to gotta discipline him somehow, some way. Um, so but when, when you look at the other quarterbacks that were available via free agency, there really wasn't anybody, um, maybe outside of 
Fitzmagic, who would be a nice stopgap option if you were to go that route again. But, um, you know, for the most part, I think, especially with the way the roster is constructed, you have to take some sort of gamble. And I think it was either going to come down to trading up and giving up a good amount to get up towards the top of the draft to get a Lance or a Wilson or trading to get Carson Wentz. Um, so they went the latter. And I think it, I think it works out better because he's been there, done that no matter what people say. And I think he's, he's ready to roll. And I think, I, I think that there's going to be uh, there's going to be a good return on investment for my money. I think the conditional pick is smart because I think that shows that Ballard had some hesitation as he should because of Wentz's injury history. Uh, so you build that in and, you know, 75% of the snaps may be, you know, a little low by some people's standards or 70% and they make the playoffs, which I think they will anyway. I think we're going to win the AFC South. You can write that down. Um, but, you know, I think either way, the way the, the deal was structured, I think it's going to suit both parties. I think it's going to turn into a first round pick for Philly. And then, you know, for the Colts, like you said, you only give up two picks for a guy. I mean, yes, you have the contract, but you know what? That's fine. I don't think the contract is going to be as bad because I think he's going to actually finally play up to the contract. So, you know, nice new fresh start. And we're going to, we're going to take off, man. We're going to take off. So I was, there were a few things I wanted to take out of there. So first of all, we're assuming Watson's gone from Houston. Yes. Yeah, I'd, I'd say so. I mean, even if they try and keep him there, I think it's going to turn into a holdout type situation, regardless of how the CBA is structured. I think that there's no shot that Deshaun ends up under center. So, yeah, I'd okay. say so. Then we know that they that historically that Indy's been able to play Tennessee pretty well. They they generally speaking, I I think I trust Frank Reich more than Vrabel. That that just a gut feeling of a if I were ranking the coaches I would have Reich ahead of Rabel and I think yeah plus 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 off that too not to yeah not to cut you off but um I did see and this is very much alleged I just saw one little screenshot but apparently Derek Henry is going to be on the cover of Madden and we know Madden does not treat his cover athletes very well so I'm not wishing anything upon him by any means I love watching him play actually but you know, I'm, I'm just saying the Madden curse seems to be very much real. And then we got Jacksonville and Urban Myers assembled, maybe the worst coaching staff I've ever seen. One of the yeah, I hope, I hope, I hope Urban Meyer continues to hire guys like Chris Doyle because before <laughs> you know it, Urban is going to be so far out of there. There's going to be another scandal because controversy and Urban Meyer just seem to go together like peanut butter and jelly. So I, yeah, I, I, for the next at least two seasons, I don't think Jacksonville is going to be a threat. But when Trevor Lawrence finds his way, watch out. Yeah, I mean, I'm not even talking about from, like, just hiring an outright, like, bad person racist. I mean, like, he hired Scott Lenahan, Brian Schottenheimer, Chris Ash, and – um. Yeah. Who's the other one? What's the other schmuck he hired that I'm not thinking of? He hired another buff. Oh, um, did he hire Charlie Strong, too? He hired a bunch of bums, basically, is wh what I'm going with. And he's not putting Trevor Lawrence in a position to succeed. Because uh, if you're familiar with the Scott Lenahan adventure in Dallas, the Brian Schottenheimer oh, yeah. adventure with either the Jets or Seattle, Chris Ash's uh, tenure as head coach at Rutgers, 
this is not a good staff. Is, is what I'm the, the best the best hire I think that Urban Meyer made for his staff was bringing in Anthony Schlegel to lead up their strength and conditioning. So that gives you an idea of how I feel about the Jaguars. Yeah, not a very well put together staff. And generally speaking, I think the AFC is a little bit tougher than the NFC in terms of quality. You got to figure you're you're going to be in competition with whoever else in your division because your division doesn't have a clear pull away i think indy's probably the best team but speaking in terms of who you're in competition for a wild card spot with if it were to come to that you're talking about the other team in your division you're talking about Mm -hmm. the chargers or oakland depending on the year you're talking yeah you're talking about the third team or second team in the afc north because i think pittsburgh does take a step back this year so cleveland and then Miami, I mean, I think Indy can hang with any of those teams. I think we could certainly hang, yeah, but um, it's going to be very tight. I think people need to give the AFC South a little more credit. I know historically our division hasn't been nearly as competitive as everywhere else, but even if Deshaun, well, I guess when Deshaun ends up leaving Houston, um, if Justin Fields, for example, comes in under center, I still think that they can be – a very competitive team. Jacksonville always seems to play us close for the most part. And then you, of course, have Tennessee. So I think our division as a whole is incredibly competitive. It's going to make it more challenging. And then I think Miami is only going to get better, um, mainly because of the defense. I think they're going to add a guy like Zayvon Collins, for example, or someone like that who will continue to bolster that defense. And then, um, you know, whatever happens with Tua happens. But yeah, I just think from the rest of the AFC, I, I really do think though we can hang with those other wild card teams. Maybe Cleveland will give us uh, some more trouble like they did last season, but I, for the most part, I feel very good about the state of our roster and our ability to compete with everyone. The uh, the biggest competition we always seem to have is with ourselves. We love to make those big mental mistakes that end up costing us games down the stretch. So if I gave you the the keys to the Ferrari, what are you spending your big ticket free agent on? Do you want a pass rusher or a receiver? I want a receiver. Okay. I had to think about that. I had to think about that for a second, but um, I think the biggest issue last year was from an offensive perspective, even though we managed to finish like right at the top 10 mark for overall offensive production. Um, I'm spending my money on Chris Godwin. I don't think Allen Robinson's going to be viable for us. I think he's going to be commanding north of a hundred million as he should. Um, So I think for us, Godwin is the next best option and I could see a contract. I think Spotrack had it at five years, 90 million for him might be a slight overpay, you know, depending on who you ask, but I think that, that's a very reasonable contract to give him. And yeah, that's where I would put most of my, uh, most of my eggs in, in the free agency basket. And then uh, for a pass rusher, like I said before, Melvin Ingram or Romeo Aguara, someone like that. I think that helps. Um, and then, you know, from a corner perspective, resign roads or, maybe look to like someone like Shaquille Griffin, who's still lanky and physical and would suit our defense pretty well. And then, you know, for a tackle perspective, like I said, Villanueva is probably going to be 
the most viable option because I don't think Trent Williams leaves San Francisco. So, or you, like I said, you go the route of the draft for that too. But either way, I would put receiver at the uh, at the top of the list, especially since we don't know what's going to happen with Ty and and uh, you know guys like that, Pascal. So. So I feel like I've got a good read on where you're at with the Colts. I generally agree with you that they're in pretty good shape. I think if anyone is going to bounce back in this kind of a situation, I do think being away from Philadelphia will help. I just like from a perspective of someone who's only tangentially aware of Philly media, who only ever has a pop-up in his Twitter feed, who isn't listening to WIP every day, like some of my Eagle fan friends, talking with one of them the other day and he's basically gone through the full rate stages of grieving that they traded Wentz because he still feels like they gave up on him way too early which I agree and just from a just to put a bow on this they're only paying Wentz the Colts are like 22 23 million dollars a year which compared to other guys that's that's below market value of what a starting quarterback goes for now so the Colts have put their eggs in a good basket they've gambled smartly and they're right there to be a playoff team again. Listen, I'll tell you what. I'll, I'll, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put myself out here, and if this comes back to bite me, then you know what, so be it. Uh, so I'm actually getting a tattoo in a couple weeks, which is going to be very interesting because uh, I don't normally do well with needles. However, with that being said, uh, if Carson Wentz does what I am expecting him to do, which is – potentially win comeback player of the year because apparently you do qualify for comeback player of the year if you have poor play so if he goes in line with that maybe even enters himself into the mvp conversation but i will put it here right now if the colts win the afc south and make a deep run in the postseason if they make it to the afc championship game while winning 12 games or 13 games in the regular season i will get carson wentz tattooed on my cheeks. And I'm not talking about the ones on my face either. Oh, man. You're really out here being reckless. Okay. A lot of qualifiers for that. So I'm going to write that down. 12, 13 wins, AFC Yes, 12, 13 wins, AFC South division winners, and making it to the AFC championship game. If they meet all of those qualifiers, then I, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to put the money where the mouth is. Good note to end the episode on. Thank you so much for coming back to talk a little bit, Chuck. I know, I know you've got a lot of ideas rattling around in that head of yours, and the sports psychosis that consumes all of us. It helps when we get to talk to other lunatics. It makes it a little bit yes. easier. Yes, yes, I appreciate as always being uh, being back on here. I'm excited. Um, I think this is going to be a really exciting NFL offseason for everybody, not just the Colts, but for the entire NFL, lots of potential moving pieces throughout. And I'm looking forward to seeing if at all, how different it's going to be uh, playing 17 regular season games instead of 16. I'm curious to see how many players uh, find fault with it. Um, I think they have a case, but yeah, I'm, I am very much excited to see where everything goes. So thank you for giving me a platform. Of course. I will see you guys tomorrow. We're going to be talking about the Rangers. And yeah, that Artemi Panarin story is kind of bad. So we'll, 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 we'll talk about it. I will see you guys tomorrow.